some of us, we may find ourselves saying, I don't have that same story yet. That's okay. God still has time. <laughs> and, he's, and he's working and calling and drawing each one of us. And it's in his time and in his purpose and in his way that we come to be with him in that way. And the scripture lessons today uh, have some wonderful things to teach us. There are some things that we can pick out today that might be a little convicting. I know they are for me. There are some things in the scriptures that I'm hoping will also be encouraging for us today. As we consider what our story is with what Jesus has done for us and how our lives are different. I guess if you remember nothing else from the next few moments, <laughs> remember these two words that God calls us to be real. To be real. Uh, we are challenged today in the scriptures to consider falsehood. We have examples of people that were false in their faith and in their approach to things. We have examples of people that were living in hypocrisy. Uh, and we're supposed to consider that and then live according to the reality that God really is real, that his kingdom really is real, and that Jesus is Lord. Because if we believe those things, that God is real, his kingdom is real, and Jesus is Lord, it's going to affect everything about us. In um, 1 Thessalonians today, uh, Paul is writing, and he's exhorting and encouraging and, and charging them and really all of us to live according to the reality of those three things, that God is real, his kingdom is real, and that Jesus is Lord. There's not really any way to get around it, and that one day all of the kingdoms are going to bow to that reality. You've probably heard that scripture, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We know who that is, right? So Paul is passionately reminding them to put their full trust in Jesus, their full trust in the gospel, and to live their lives in a way that really takes it seriously. If Jesus is our Lord, then our walk will be in his footsteps and not somebody else's. We've got this great example uh, in the Old Testament lesson uh, in Micah. False prophets, crooked priests, you know, lots of not good stuff happening there. Uh, and just that alone, if you want to do some deeper study, go read up on that. Uh, Micah chapter 3 and what was happening in the history of Israel at that time and, and uh, how God worked through, worked his message through Micah. You know, some were preaching this false message. Um, people were preaching a message that sort of tickled the ears of, of um, wealthier people and more powerful people and things like that. And, and uh, it was really so that those false prophets could reap some benefits by, um, you know, basically flattering those that had the ability to give back to them. Um, the priests were motivated by power and greed and somewhat by popularity in that time. And, and Micah was standing up and speaking out against all of that. And that might seem far removed from us. Like, oh, it's the Old Testament. I don't even know where Micah is back there in that left side of the Bible. Um, but people haven't changed and their motivations remain the same because we are still under the same structures of uh, sin and 
that curse apart from Jesus Christ at work in our lives. And so, without spending a ton of time in Micah this morning, because we could, <laughs> but without spending a ton of time in that, um, Micah spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke the truth, even in the face of power and of those that were very much disagreeing against him. And over a hundred years later, the prophet Jeremiah is hearkening back to what happened in the days of Micah. After Micah spoke the word of the Lord and the truth went out, there was a revival. There was repentance. People returned to the Lord. And a hundred years later, Jeremiah is saying, you remember when that happened? That was God moving and working. So when we approach our faith in a real way, when the Lord is allowed to work in us and create real change. And you know, each one of us has been handed the gospel to be able to proclaim in word and in deed. And if we will do that in a real way and not a hypocritical one, as the Lord helps us, it's powerful. Micah did it, and Jeremiah, a hundred years later, is talking about it. Okay? If Christians will live out the faith in a real way, the Lord is going to be able to move in power. Your story matters. Your story is important because it's God's story at work in you of what he has done and how he has changed you. We've got some more hypocrites in the gospel lesson today. <laughs> You probably saw that in the, in the scriptures as we read. <clears throat> Jesus is upset. You know, uh, if you take this whole chunk of scripture and look at it together, the, he has all these interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're trying to trip him up. You know, they're trying to catch him in his own words or, you know, try to prove that he's not really who he says he is and others have said that he is. And... Um, He's now calling out hypocrisy. He's not speaking in some kind of coded, you know, words or a parable or something like that. He's like, all right, fine, here it is. I'm laying it out for you. He's calling out hypocrisy. He's saying that they're saying one thing and they're doing another. They're treating one group of people differently where they stand to gain from them while treating another group of people that have nothing to give poorly. They're wearing false humility. Go Google what a phylactery is. We'll see what I mean. I'll leave that little bit of homework for you, okay? Um, they wanted to appear wonderfully outward, um, but not really living it or walking it out. And so Jesus criticizes three specific things in the lives of the Pharisees. Their hypocrisy, how they have turned God's love and redemption from being a gift into a burden... It's too heavy to carry. And how they crave this honor and cultural approval instead of approval from God. Far more interested in appearing a certain way than being a certain way. And he's, Jesus is done and he's calling them out on it. We can all think of examples in our own lives where we've experienced uh, hypocrisy, right? Right? 
you know, if we're super honest, we might be able to point to a time in our own lives where, you know, maybe our walk didn't quite match our talk. Um, but if we can't find an example in our own lives, we can probably look at somebody else and find one, right? No. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> We're all going to need to confess again, right? No. <laughs> uh, but it's obvious, right? If a person truly believes what they are preaching, they're going to do it, too. They're not just going to say it. Uh, if you believe that exercise is a good option for you and you're going to be healthier for it, you're probably going to do it. Rather than tell somebody else to do it and then sit there and not do it. If you find value in it, you're going to engage in it. You're going to invest in it. You know, if you really believe that it's going to snow and winter is coming, you're going to be filling your woodshed. Mine's not full yet. Almost. <laughs> so the hypocrisy of the Pharisees angered Jesus because it was undermining of God's message to the people. They were supposed to represent God to the people, Right? And teach them about God and help them to walk in holiness with God. But they themselves were off the rails. And so it was undermining God's message to them. Just as a Christian's hypocrisy today would lead people to reject the Christian message. So the Pharisees' hypocrisy in Jesus' day was undercutting God's message to the people at that time. So story is important, right? Truth is vital. If people know that we're unavailable on Sunday morning because we go to church, but then our lives look very different the rest of the week, people are quick to point that out. If you get into any kind of a conversation with somebody uh, who wants nothing to do with the faith, often the first thing they point out is the perceived hypocrisy of Christians. They expect us to be perfect. We know we don't have to be perfect because he is perfect. So we don't, we don't need to live a life that uh, is completely without spot, but we need to be able to have the humility to repent and ask forgiveness when we end up and find ourselves in a place like this. You know, last Sunday, uh, we read about how we are called to be holy as God is holy. God wants us to be consistent with him, and we only have that in Jesus, right? And we will only be consistent in our lives before people if we are seeking to have our walk match our talk and also the humility to recognize when it doesn't and to say, yeah, you know, we Christians were not perfect and we're actually called to repent and to seek God's forgiveness when we step out of line in these areas. So our story, Paul talks a bit about our story here in, um, in Thessalonians. I know I'm bouncing back to that here. Uh, but, you know, he's talking about when the people that he's writing to first received the gospel and how they received it. He's talking about a point in time in their story. And it implies a time when they didn't know the gospel before the gospel of Jesus Christ had been carried to them by Paul. And then he brings the word, and then their lives are changed, and now they're living a different way. 
And a lot of times when we read this passage in Thessalonians, we almost go deaf to what's actually being said there because Paul comes across perhaps like he might be bragging just a little bit. Did you catch that? And we might have been thinking, well, Paul, it's great for you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about for me. Uh, but let's not miss what's really happening here. He is reminding the Thessalonians, not of his greatness, but that he didn't need to conduct himself like many others do in that surrounding culture. He didn't need to bring the message of the gospel with manipulations or lies or embellishments or by trying to pull a fast one or with magic tricks or whatever the case may be. He let the message go forth and do its own work. He wasn't manipulating it to try to gain a result out of it. He wasn't trying to sell it to them for personal gain. He wasn't trying to twist their arms. When the gospel goes out, it is powerful. And it is not a power that we put into it. It is a power that the Holy Spirit puts into it. When you talk to someone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, oftentimes you will find a story where God was working out circumstances in their life, preparing their heart for that exact moment when the gospel was going to be preached and they would hear the word and it would resonate in them and ring in them with what had been happening. And this is what's happened to the Thessalonians, right? The Holy Spirit is working, he's calling, he's drawing. He's jumping into their lives and into their story as Paul shows up and preaches the gospel. And they're changed. Paul was proclaiming it while he was living it. His talk and his walk were lining up and they saw it. When we trust Jesus, our lives become marked by holy and righteous and blameless living. Not without error but also not without grace. We err, but we have grace in Jesus Christ. And when others see our story and learn of the grace that we find in Christ, it's attractive. It's something that, that people find that they want and they want to hold on to. So Paul continues and points out the reality that they are really God's own children now. God's own children, trusting in God. And that is being evident by walking in a manner worthy of God. In trail life, our motto is walk worthy. You should hear, you know, eight little boys shout that, right? You know, walk worthy. <laughs> and if it's not loud enough, we have them say it again. <laughs> but it's the same thing that we're being exhorted to here, to walk in a manner that is holy and righteous and blameless. And Paul uses all these words like exhorted and charged and encouraged. And they're words to us too, to be exhorted and charged and encouraged to, as the Lord helps us, walk in a manner that is worthy so that our walk and our talk in our story line up. Paul says that it is God who calls you. And it's not like, well, I heard the call of God 40 years ago when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is God calling. But 
God calls us moment by moment, day by day, if we will hear his voice, we'll know his call. Each and every day he is calling us to himself, and Paul talks about as a loving father calls his children. So God calls each one of us, he invites us to live into the story. And someone might say, well, I don't really see God as part of my story yet. That's okay for now. God has different timing for each of us. Um, even when we don't see it, he is working and he is calling and he is drawing us to himself. And often when we look back at those times when we thought God wasn't there doing something, we can look back and say, ah, there he was and I didn't even know it at the time. And it's wonderfully affirming in our faith to be able to look back and see that because it gives us hope and faith and trust for those seasons in our lives where we say, where are you, God? To know that he hasn't gone anywhere, that he's still there calling us and drawing us. So the Lord loves each one of us deeply, and he is inviting us into relationship with him and to join in with his story. Please pray with me. Lord, as we come to your table today, we are reminded of the story of our own sin and our falling away. And how again and again you called us to yourself through prophets, the Old Testament, all the way up through Jesus, calling and drawing. Lord, we pray that um, we would hear your voice afresh and anew in our hearts today. That as we come to your table, we'd be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. Even as we look forward to that heavenly banquet and the scene in heaven. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, let's stand and confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the great and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. How can we